Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. Okay, thought question. What is the characteristic or a characteristic of a life that is lived by faith? Just, what's that? Okay, peaceful. What else? Well, I just go back to the definition, submissive life. Okay. Submissive. What else? Okay. Uh huh. So good deeds, and I'm going to put out here um, to the side righteousness. Um, so that I mean that could also be character, but it also could be just the things that we do. Good morning. What else? We're answering the question. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. More merciful because. Yep. Merciful. Yep. So we have been given mercy, so we ex- uh, we display mercy to others, merciful life. What are some other characteristics of a life that is lived by faith or a faith-filled life? I would say student of the word. Okay. Um, student of truth, uh, prayerful, probably one that is oftentimes uh, missed, or, or maybe not missed, not not emphasized. Uh, we don't probably don't spend a whole lot of time talking about prayer. What else? I would say that it would have to stand out as being different than the rest. Okay. Of the I'm going to use this word, unique, um, um, and by that, and the reason I'm using the word unique, that's probably the best um, way to translate this word holy. Uh, you know, it is different, but it's sometimes we think of different as different. You know, you see somebody walking along the road, ooh, they're different, they got purple hair, <laughs> unique in the sense that going against the grain. We talk a lot about the fish swimming upstream, uh, and I think that is really what is meant by that, going against the world system. I'm surprised there's one we haven't mentioned. Um, You know, Jesus said in the Gospels, all men will know you are my disciples if you have... Okay? So, loving. I, I just figured that would be one at the top of the list. Love, loving, uh, so we are, and merciful probably falls into that, but certainly um, being gracious with people, inviting them to our house. If we see somebody in need, uh, contributing to their needs, so and, and it kind of fits in with good deeds. Anything else? I think giving. Also. Giving? I'm going to put, uh, we'll put it down here. Giving of our time of our monies, of ourselves even, 
I mean, you know, you guys volunteer every week. Uh, so those kinds of things where we, we give of ourselves. What James is going to talk about this morning, he's going to boil it down to one thought. And that one thought is wisdom. That the, the central characteristic that James sees as a faith-filled life is a wise life. Um, and what I would like to do is, before we jump into the passage, uh, we're just going to kind of do a little bit of review, because I think it's important occasionally when you're doing a study like this, is it, where, where have we come from? Uh, I would tell you that this is a transitional point in the book. So the opening section of the book, the first half of the book of James, is really a very general discussion of how we live in this life, what it means to live in this life, a faith-filled life. And so he talked about the characteristic of longevity, perseverance. The fact that when, when you encounter trials uh, or temptation, you pursue through them. Uh, you persevere. And so that was kind of the first thing that James talked about. In life, there are going to be things that come at you externally that are going to put pressure on you to quit James says, don't quit. Keep going. Then James talks about temptation. He says, there's things that are going to come from inside you that are going to make you want to quit. James says, don't quit. And then James goes on to talk about how we should treat other people, how we should view other people. And so he talks about being quick to listen, uh, slow to speak, slow to become angry, to not judge people, not show favoritism, that the ultimate test of that is how well we control our tongue and the evidence of of how well we control or how well we we control our tongue is evidence of the spirit of God in our lives the fact that he is changing us and all of this centers around this concept of showing our faith by our good works by our our unique life the fact that we are different we're swimming against the stream well then when you go to the latter part of the book things get a little bit more specific. James is going to talk about how we specifically treat people, how we deal with um, the suffering that is going to come, how we deal with when life isn't fair, when there are people that have uh, more than we have, and then they use that wealth. We were talking about winning the lottery and all that, but they use that wealth to oppress people. How do we respond in those situations? And so the transition point is this idea of two kinds of wisdom, okay? I believe that, uh, let's just pause here for a minute. James is who? Is it who or whom? Jesus' half-brother. So he relies pretty heavily on the teaching of Jesus for a lot of his thought process. That's why uh, a lot of the things that James has to say mimics more what Jesus would teach than necessarily Paul or or Peter. So turn, before we go to James, to Mark chapter 10. And I want to share a story with you from Mark chapter 10 that I think illustrates the point that that James is driving at, that Jesus drove home. Now, we're going to read about James and John. Remember, the James that we're reading about here is not James the writer of the book of James, right? This is James the Apostle. James the writer of the book is the half-brother of Jesus. So uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 35, 
says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Well, that's kind of a bold statement, isn't it? Um, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Jesus said, You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared for. When they heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for the many." So this teaching that uh, Jesus offers here, I think, impacts James in a great way as he's writing his book. And it leads him to share this little transitional section in between uh, chapter 3 and chapter 4. Okay, So that's kind of the, the backdrop. If you can keep that story in the backdrop as we're reading what we're going to read today, I think it is helpful in beginning to understand this. So let's read the passage in James. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So James brings up these two concepts of wisdom and and understanding. What characteristics, when you think of wisdom and understanding, what, what comes to mind? I can think of a couple of different things. How intelligence. Yeah. Mental capacity. Okay. realize that's not necessarily what wisdom is about. You can be intelligent and not be wise. Yep. Picture a child, um, we've all had children in here, do children do foolish things? Why do they do foolish things? (laughs) I'm just doing what mom and dad did. (laughs) There's probably a lot of truth to that. They don't have the life experience to say, Mom just took a pot off the stove, the stove's going to be hot. Or the fireplace is hot, or something like that. So life experience isn't there for them to be able to make those kind of judgments. And 
So when James is talking about wisdom and understanding, now but before I go there, let's let's compare that to um, grandmas and grandpas. There's a lot of wisdom there, isn't there? They have had. Uh, I have a friend. He calls it, you know, the the tuition that you pay in going through life. You make mistakes, and it's tuition. It, it might not be money out of your pocket, but sometimes it is. It, it, when I my first car that I bought um, as a 15 year old kid, the guy that had it before me had rebuilt the transmission, and he told me when I bought it, "Hey, keep an eye on the transmission fluid." Did Mike listen to him? No. Did Mike listen to his dad? No. I ended up rebuilding the transmission myself. It cost me $600. And so that's the lack of wisdom. That's foolishness. Had I listened, I would have checked the transmission fluid, would have realized there is a slight leak, and either tried to fix the leak or just kept dumping transmission fluid in it. So these character traits of wisdom and understanding produce a kind of a, an overview you know, I, I like to think of grandparents as they just have that elevated view to be able to look and see life and say, I can see a problem over there. You know, you're right here, but I can see a problem down the road. You want to go buy a brand new car and you have a job that is not paying the greatest. And maybe, you know, maybe it's a seasonal job. It's probably not a great idea to go buy a brand new car. Grandparents have that wisdom. Hopefully parents do too, but they don't always. And so my point is, in this is wisdom and understanding from the perspective of the Bible is really having a divine perspective. It's having an instructed perspective because of the truth of God. Because we understand what life is really like, we don't live um, sort of in the in the moment by moment whims and wishes of what comes along, but we understand there there is a greater cause that is being served here. So sometimes wisdom might. I'm going to use the example of of the car again. And um, if I want to be careful here, this is this is my preference. I don't like to buy brand new cars. If you would like to buy brand new cars, that's fine. Here's why I don't like to buy brand new cars. Because I go buy it. We did it one time. We bought the car. We bring it home. And what is the car worth? Not what I paid for it. That bugs me. And so I'll buy you. I'll let somebody else pay the depreciation on the car. I don't care if it's got 10,000 miles on it. You know, and it's it's a little different because I get a new car every two years to drive for my job. I could care less. If they stick me in an old pickup truck, that's not going to bother me. But to me... For me, that is wise. I don't want to pay that extra three or $4,000 or whatever that cost is when I don't have to. Let somebody else pay that. So how does that apply in faith? Having this divine perspective, James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the, if you circle in your Bible, circle that next word, the humility that comes from wisdom. Notice how James says that wisdom, this divine perspective is going to be displayed in our lives. It's going to be displayed as humility that comes from wisdom. It doesn't make us arrogant, does it? It, uh, I'll I'll tell you another story. When I was going to school in Virginia, um, we attended a church there. And the pastor of the church was also a theology professor at Liberty University. And he and I would get into 
you know, discussions and even disagreements. And there were two uh, professors that attended this church. One uh, actually helped um, translate and do the New International Version translation. His name's Dr. Richard Patterson. And older gentleman, incredibly wise, also very humble, you know. When we had work days, he was right there with us, working. I was in my 20s. He was in his late 60s at the time. Whatever we were doing, he was right there with us. Didn't matter to him if we were painting or picking up trash. That was part of what it meant to be part of a body. Then there was the other professor who was younger. He was in his 40s, 50s. When it came time to eat at a social, he thought he ought to be first in line. When it came to the work days, he wasn't there. He had family obligations. There wasn't a lot of humility that came from that knowledge. So this is my attempt at art. (laughs) I'm not an artist. I need to get my daughter. She's great. So here we are as people. We have a brain or a mind, as the the, uh, New Testament calls it, and we have the heart. In reality, wisdom versus foolishness Faith versus a sin life is about what is in control. Let me explain this. Uh, So James has said, Paul has said, that when our heart is in control and it overrules, that is a life that is not characterized by faith. Jesus said it this way, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our heart is, is tainted by our sin nature, by our bent towards sin. And I love the illustration. Michael DeFazio used it. I don't remember what, what we were talking about. Remember the Walmart cart with the bum wheel? And you're pushing it down the out. And the more junk you throw in that cart, the harder it is to keep it from wanting to go whatever way it wants to go. That perfectly depicts what our sin nature is like. When our heart is in control, when we are responding to what we want, what we feel, what we desire, that is not a life characterized by wisdom. It is a life characterized by selfishness. When the mind is in control, when the mind is overruling the heart, that is a, a life that is lived wisely by faith. Paul says it this way uh, in Romans chapter 12. He said, it's through the transforming of your mind that you will be transformed. And this change will occur. And so, in essence, James and Paul are kind of saying the same thing. And Jesus is saying the same thing here. When we have the understanding that God is ultimately the one who is in control, and all of his truth is the filter that our brain is, our mind is processing things through, we will look at life, we will look at situations before us, and we will compare it to that truth first. Not just what I want. Now, let's read on and see what what James has to say. Let him show this wisdom, this understanding, by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. It's very fascinating here. James uh, uses the word bitter envy which is the same word that's used just previous to that when he talks about salt water, bitter water. Um, have you ever been to the ocean uh, and gotten a mouthful of ocean water? 
Isn't that the most disgusting thing ever? Or when I was a kid, um, we kind of lived out in the country, and if we got a sore throat, we had to gargle with salt water. Well, I remember the first time my, I think it was actually my aunt that said, here, gargle with this. My, I didn't know what gargle meant, so I, I just drank it. And it wasn't a very long after that till my body said, uh-uh, <laughs> reverse gears and get that stuff out of here. And that, that bitter water... James compares that here to envy. It's that sickening, nauseating thing. What is envy? How does envy affect us? What, what is envy? It's not a word that we use a lot. I mean, what is envy? It's when um, you want what other people have, but it's not even just that you want what they have. You're very upset that they have it, and you don't feel like they deserve it, and you feel like you do. Yes. And you just start up with your own self. Yeah. And it really ends up getting back down to being yeah. selfish. Yeah. It's, it's not fair, right? It's not, Jack's got that beautiful pink shirt, and I don't have one. It's not just that he has it. It's I'm mad he has it. You know, or something, and it could be wealth. It could be a, a home. It could be knowledge. Why, why, does, why does that, per, uh, I'll, I'll use Noah. He's not paying attention. Noah has a, has a musical gift. He can pick something up and play it. I'm like, that stinks. <laughs> Why don't I have that? You know, so this envy is, is something that really uh, creates in us a physical response. You ever felt that? I have. Bitter envy. And then he talks about selfish ambition. What's selfish ambition? Yep, just looking out for numero uno, right? All about me. All about me. James says, if you have these two characteristics where you are physically responding to what you see other people have and you have no regard for other people in the process, that's not wisdom. And he says, don't boast about it or deny the truth. I love this, that James puts this in here, deny the truth. Remember the illustration that he says, it's kind of like a man that stands in front of a mirror and he looks at himself and then he walks away and he forgets what he saw. He forgets that, oh, I'm selfish by nature. The, the scripture, according to Hebrews, is, is the mirror. It's what we compare ourselves to. I don't compare myself to Noah or Jack or you. or It's this. This is what reads me, what reflects and shows the envy in me or the selfish ambition or the pride or those things that are within me. And it, uh, the, the author of Hebrews says it's able to go down and cut into, the, into the, the most intimate recesses of our personhood. Between It can divide between soul and spirit and muscle and sinew and get into those deep places and when we read the scripture and it shows us what we truly are and then we walk away and forget all about that we don't walk through life remembering man i'm i'm kind of a piece of garbage but god loves me anyways we're not exhibiting wisdom and then james says that kind of wisdom in your uh, English version, it'll be in quotation. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. If there is a wisdom that doesn't teach you to be gracious towards other people, 
to recognize the value of other, other people and see your own faults, that's not godly wisdom. That is human wisdom. Uh, as a matter of fact, he even says it's uh, satanic wisdom. Verse 16, where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. That is probably a commentary of a lot of churches in America, isn't it? I mean, think about, you guys have all heard the stories of this church that's having a problem, and then they split, and the next thing you know, there's another split and another upheaval, and then that church isn't even around anymore. Why? Because you have envy and selfish ambition. You had somebody that was in control that somebody else thought they shouldn't be in control. Or somebody that had money and you thought they shouldn't be, uh, have the influence that they have or something. And, and James says those are the things that cause this kind of disorder and even sinfulness, evil practice. And he's going to go on and say how do, you, how do you handle it when you have quarrels between one another. He's going to talk to that specifically. So he's not really dealing with that. He's just pointing out this is where it comes from. It's from this envy and selfish ambition. Um, what character traits do pride, envy, and selfish ambition produce? And why? What's that? It's misery. Yes. Yep. Competitiveness? You ever been, I mean, you know, maybe not necessarily in the church, but in other places. Uh, e- even in uh, school functions, you know. Uh, I, I need to get the recognition for putting this program together. This, uh, you know, being the one to work the concession stand at, at football games. I'm the only one that's ever here, you know. I have to always clean the church or whatever. James says those are the kinds of things that cause this disruption. How does that envy and selfish ambition affect the church? Now, don't think of just Christ church. Think of the church in general. How does envy and selfish ambition affect the church? Splits the church. Splits the church. Cripples it. Cripples it. It can't do, it can't do what it should do. Yes. Yeah. If you go back to this list, you almost find the opposite, don't you? It's not peaceful, right? You said split. It's very uh, contentious, a lot of arguments. It's not very loving. They don't care about outsiders because they're trying to deal with the problems inside. Submissive. How submissive is a contentious church? (laughs) I don't care what that idiot said. We're not making green carpet or whatever. Good deeds. How many good deeds are done in a contentious church? And again, not, I'm not just talking about this church. We're talking about the church in general. Good deeds are not being displayed. Acts of compassion and mercy. Not a whole lot of time spent in, uh, in the Word because we got to argue about other things, right? Um, how much time is spent in prayer? How hard is it to pray for somebody else when you're mad at them, you're envious of them, you want to see them fail? Yeah. Yep. And you know, remember, James says it. It's the hum- they're done in the humility 
that comes from wisdom. So even if good deeds are done, if I'm standing up on Sunday saying, hey, did you all see me do a good deed? That's probably not a good deed, right? <laughs> um, unique. Unique and holy. Well, I'll give you another example of that, Mary. It used to drive me nuts. When we were at Moody, they, you know, whoever gave the most money, they got to name the building after them. Um, so, thanks, guys. Uh, unique and holy. Not a whole lot of time focusing on being unique and holy, even to the, to the extent of not being recognized for what you do. Okay. Um, why does this matter, this concept matter to James' audience? Now, let's, let's kind of hone in. We've, we've talked in general terms. Let's talk about James' audience. Remember, who is James' audience? They are Jewish Christians that have been dispersed because of the persecution. They're out there in and amongst the wolves, right? I mean, they're not cloistered away in their own churches. So why does this matter to James' audience? They're not going to be a lighthouse. They're not going to be salt in the positive sense of being preservative. They're they're actually going to cause problems. Um, It's going to cause problems in and amongst themselves even, isn't it? Remember, you know, we're we're talking about the church kind of in that Acts 2 and 3 phase where it talks about they devoted themselves to each other and to the breaking of bread and prayer. And if somebody had a need, they contributed to the need. Well, if I don't like you, I'm probably not going to give to you. And so it was really divisive within the church. Why does this matter to us today? Yeah. 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 I know little congregations that they had a reputation. Well, they didn't want any new members because they might bring a new idea. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. You know the. I I think the challenge for us today is that whole concept of being unique, being holy, being. Not holier than thou, but being countercultural. Not seeking the recognition. Not having to have the stroke to the ego. Being the hidden servant. Those things are why I think this is so, so key for us today. I want us to look at another passage um, simply because I told you that we're always going to compare these passages to Paul. So let's go to the book of Philippians. And um, this particular passage is, is fairly important theologically, but I think it's also important uh, just from a very practical standpoint. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider other better than yourselves. Notice the similarity in words that Paul uses to James. James and Paul are lockstep here. They're on the same page. Verse 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Paul says the example that is before us is that of Jesus, who although he was secure in his position, he was willing to relegate all of that to something else for you and I. And so I think James is in essence, and Paul is saying, we do the same thing. Even though we are in a prized position, God has given us mercy and grace, and he loves us with an everlasting love, even with all of that, we can set aside our pride in order to love and show compassion and minister to other people. And that's going to set James up for the rest of the book that he's going to go on to talk about and how you handle these individual specific disagreements, complaints, issues that are going to come up within the, within the church. So again, what is the characteristic, the greatest characteristic of a life that is lived by faith I would tell you it is wisdom. That is having this divine perspective on life that says, I'm willing to give up everything in this life in order to be obedient to the truth and therefore have my mind control my heart, my whims, my wishes. Uh, And... I'm going to share with you a story, and I don't want uh, this to be in any way, shape, or form misconstrued. This is my personal belief, my personal opinion. So I was talking to my eldest here a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about the trip to Israel. And she said, Dad, wouldn't that be cool? You know, don't you want to go on that? And I said, well, I don't know. And she said, Dad, I mean, it's just so cool. And I said, it would be cool. But I don't live my life with the understanding that I'm just going to do what's cool. I said, because here's the simple truth that guides me. I'm going to stand in Israel someday. Not as it is today, but the way that God intended for it to be. And I'm going to be able to ask Jesus, okay, is this where you stood when you taught this? You see, that fundamental truth transforms the way I can live my life in this day and age. Now, if you want to go to Israel, by all means, that's fine. It would be a phenomenal teaching and learning thing for you. Please don't take it that way. This is my choice. I'm sharing that as an example to say we can apply that same kind of idea to other things. Okay, I'm going to give up my vacation this year and donate that money or donate my time to go on a missions trip or do something like that. Why would we do that? Wisdom. Because we have a divine perspective that says, this life is not all there is. What I get in this life is not all that I will have. And that is freeing, you know. It allows us to live that unique life. It allows us to live the kind of life that says, I don't have to get mine right now because I know I'm ultimately going to get it. It's going to be lavished on me in such a way that I'll never want for what I lost here. Um, I think the hymn is Just As I Am. I could be wrong. I'm not very good with song titles. Uh, 
No, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's wisdom. When we can look at this life and recognize this isn't real. This isn't all there is. Uh, you know, Paul says oftentimes, we're just ain't strangers here, aliens. We're just passing through. We're waiting for that home that ultimately we will go to. Does that make sense? I think that is really the, the central truth, truth that James is driving at. And he says that will affect your relationships whether it's with the rich and the poor, the oppressor, the, the person that you're quarreling with, all those, all those kinds of things. Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.